Have you ever had the experience shared by so many pastors of trying to find an address on the edge of a growing city, a city that keeps on spreading out and discovering that you have an outdated map? Have you ever followed it as far as it'll go and then discover that you need to go a little bit farther? Scott Peck, in his important book, The Road Less Travel, talked about uh, mature people and used the metaphor of the map. He discussed that map as being our way of viewing reality. Uh, the way we have chosen to get us from here to where we want to go. And he says, in the course of our lives, our perceptions of reality change, and we are constantly making revisions to our map and updating it, or else we encounter the futility, the despair, and the meaninglessness of the dead end and the outdated map. Now, if he is correct, and if, more importantly, Jesus is right, when he uses those three perspectives in the same sentence and pulls them all together, well known to the Jews because they had always heard about walking in the way and turning neither to the right nor to the left and that God is the God of truth and truth is to be written on the heart and, and we're to walk in the truth and all of these various references, but this was the first time they had been pulled together and become dynamic and alive in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He personifies the very God of truth. And because he is alive and his word is alive, truth is moved from the realm of the static to the dynamic, from the stagnant to the living. Therefore, our views, our way of viewing reality does change with the passing of the months and the years. And we are all faced with the necessity of revising our maps, lest we have an outdated one. Jesus said, if you were my disciples, you will continue in my word, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Notice, will make you free. Therefore, that person who is consecrated to the truth, who is sanctified in the truth, that person who is dedicated to the truth, will be someone who recognizes early on that he or she must engage in, in a lifelong process of self-examination. Continuing in his word, that we might know the truth and the truth might make us free. Self-examination. How do I need to revise my map? How do I need to update my map? 
knowing that this kind of self-examination, asking the hard questions is very painful. Continuing in His Word, that we might know the truth and the truth might make us free. Self-examination. How do I need to revise my map? How do I need to update my map? Knowing that this kind of self-examination, asking the hard questions, is very painful. And we don't like to ask ourselves painful questions that require dramatic and sometimes hurting changes. Like this person to whom I spoke not long ago who was having difficulty, health difficulty, and, and he related it to his long habit of smoking. And when I asked him about that, he said, well, yes, at, uh, I smoked for 30 years. But then a bit defensively, he said, but, but I'm not addicted to it, I just love it. I've loved it for 30 years, but I'm not addicted to it. Now, oftentimes, we don't want to face the hard questions. It's, it's like that man in the First World War, you've all heard his story, who, who cried out to the general, I've, I, I've taken a prisoner, I have a prisoner. And the, the general, calling to him in the darkness, for they couldn't see a thing, the general called to him, well, bring him in. And the soldier said, he won't come in. And the general said, well, you come in. And he said, he won't let me. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real question oftentimes, and, and only we can pose the right question, who's the prisoner? Socrates long ago said, how can you talk about being free when you're held captive by your pleasures? When you live for your pleasures, when you're at the absolute mercy of your every whim and desire, how can you call yourself free? Jesus talked about being the slave of sin. And somebody else has said that sin, like a mushroom, grows better in the darkness. The self-examined life is the life that, in its dedication to truth, is always ready to engage in confession that comes from having opened one's heart and one's mind completely to the penetrating light of God that we might know. Now, the Bible tells us that our God desires truth in the inward being. And that degree of truth can be found only with our cooperation, truth in the inward being. It was an exciting thing the day the prodigal son started talking to himself. Well, not that he was talking to himself. I, I saw somebody at the red light the other day who was just talking away, and I looked. He didn't have a telephone. I mean, he was just talking. It, it's all right uh, to talk to yourself. And, and when the prodigal came to himself, he, he just started talking ab about the way things were. The really exciting thing about the prodigal and, and what excites God about us is when we start telling ourselves the truth. 
Now, so long as we keep telling ourselves things that aren't the truth, we never make any progress in these maps of ours and the way we get from here to there. Like that film, The International Hotel, which, if you recall, the film was about W.C. Fields, the comedian who was flying around like a helicopter, just sailing around in the air. And if you remember, he got a little low on his supply of beer, so he decided to swoop down and get him some more. And, and when he swooped down, he, he landed on the top of the International Hotel in China. Uh, the elite of the city uh, was sitting there having their afternoon tea. And uh, W.C. feels a little bit uh, intimidated, exasperated, uh, in a kind of a, a quavering yet bo booming voice, uh, said, uh, uh, where am I? And they said, uh, you're in China. He, he said, I'm going to Kansas City, Kansas. And, and they said to him, well, sir, you are lost. And he stood up very uh, tall and, and became defensive, as is the typical posture of people who don't have the courage to be vulnerable and to admit their errors. He came back with a booming voice, Kansas City is lost. I'm here. And so it is. This, this defensive uh, posture is, is easy, isn't it? It's, it's like that Cincinnati Bengal just before the Super Bowl. You read about his story. He was a running back, and he was, he was put, on, put off the team because he had, he had been guilty of another drug offense, of, of taking illegal drugs. And instead of uh, owning up to his responsibility and saying, well, you've given me a lot of chances and I just messed up, instead of that, you remember he came out with an interview in the paper, and he said it was really the, the team's fault. They should have watched me more closely. You know, people will do almost anything to avoid this introspection which is absolutely necessary if someone is going to grow. I saw someone uh, exercising the other day in, in this fast walk. I saw this person listening to rock music in the ears and, and reading a book with the eyes while she exercised. And I thought, we'll do almost anything to keep from getting still and thinking. You know, Mr. Wesley, John Wesley, preached a sermon once on the repenter, repentance of believers. He said, we make a common mistake in that we take something like repent and believe in the gospel and, and we think that's for all those people who have never become Christians. He says that's for believers too. Repentance is a lifelong process. And we come to repentance only when we engage in self-examination. He said when we become Christians, sin no longer reigns over us, but sin remains. And so we continue to repent why? In order that we might believe more and more of the gospel. Revise the map. How does the map get revised? Through self-examination. Being open to the truth 
more than that, being committed to the truth and to him who is truth gives us the courage to examine the convictions we hold. Now that's a lot of courage. Some truths are easy, easily examined. Uh, some uh, statements can be promptly interpreted and declared true or false. Like uh, one morning when my brother and I had come back from milking the cows. And mother would look at the amount of milk we brought. I'll never forget this. One frosty morning, she met us out on the back, and, and the buckets weren't nearly as full as they should have been. And she said, that's all the milk the cows gave. And, and we said, yes. And about that time, the cats came walking around the corner of the house, and they looked like they had rabies. They had so much foam on their faces. It didn't take my mother long to put those two together. Uh, we had played with the milk. It wasn't all in the pail. Or like the little boys who said they were late because they had a flat tire. Four of them that had a flat tire and the teacher separated them and said you have 30 seconds to write down which tire was flat. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't take long to determine the veracity of some comments. But it takes a lot of courage to hold your convictions up for inspection to be willing to expose what you believe and to let them be examined. But the willingness to examine our convictions is the sign of a rational person. Did you know that? The willing to exam willingness to examine them? A few days ago, I was preaching a minister's week at a seminary between 1,000 and 1,100 ministers. In addition to my preaching, I had a two-hour seminar. And in that seminar, they asked me to tell of my, my call experience. Why are you in the ministry to begin with and then take the questions of the people? I didn't want to tell all those people about my call experience. I didn't want to have to explain myself. I didn't want to examine that because that's the taproot of my spiritual experience. That is to me what the taproot is to the tree. And I didn't, I didn't want to hold that up for anybody to see it. And yet I, I know that's, that's a part of being a rational person. I think about how defensive Bishop Candler became when somebody snickered at him. He was preaching on truth. And in his sermon, he said it was a good thing God didn't strike people dead for telling a lie now like he did back with Ananias and Sapphira. He said, if God were to strike people dead now for telling a lie, where would I be? And when he stopped, some people out in the congregation snickered. And the bishop got defensive and he said, I'll tell you where I'd be. I'd be right up here preaching to an empty church. Uh, we, we do get a little bit defensive, don't we? We can talk about other people's convictions, but, but when we talk about examining our own convictions, that's a different story. And yet our own views of reality change as the months and years go by. And hopefully those convictions are getting better and stronger and firmer all the while. Paul said when he was a child, he thought like a child, he reasoned like a child. But when he became older, he began to put those things aside. He talked about struggling toward maturity. He talked about going on to the fullness which is in Christ Jesus. 
And that's the calling of every person who's dedicated to the truth. In my reading, I take some periodicals that present the faith in a different perspective. I sometimes get so upset and concerned reading those periodicals, but it's the hardest check I write every year to renew my subscription, but I think I need to read it. I think when you've been a Christian for 30 years, you don't just need to get your faith reinforced. You need to ask your faith some questions. You need to understand better why you believe what you believe. You need to get some perspectives that will open you up to the light of God's truth that you might grow. Because as a Christian, you must believe that the last word has not yet been spoken. Jesus said, I have a lot of things to tell you, but you can't understand them yet. You aren't ready for them yet. And when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. And all of that is predicated upon a person's willingness to engage in the search for truth and to be open to its new insights. What we have to guard against is what the psychiatrists call premature closure. By that I'm talking about being shut down, getting a corner of the truth when we're 12 or 20 and holding on bulldog-like fashion so that we don't see anything else or consider anything else. And one of the forms of closure going around today that distresses a lot of people is the tendency on the part of so many to say, God told me. That confuses a lot of people. That, that, that discourages a lot of people who are among the ordinary mortals who've gotten guidance from God through Holy Scripture, who've gotten guidance from God through prayer, through church, through sermons, through friends, through the world. They've gotten guidance from God in so many ways, but they are not among those who've heard God speak, as it were, with the sound of a great bass drum telling them exactly and definitively precisely what he wants them to do. Confuses a lot of people. We need to be very careful about how we say that. Of course we know God speaks. Of course we can be very sure. Not so often, but now and again we are. But we must be very careful how we say that. People are saying it nowadays even though it's contradictory even though it's, it's not always rational. People are saying that and it doesn't follow. I mean, it doesn't happen what they said God wanted to happen. So what happened? Did the Almighty run out of strength or something? People are saying that on every side and, and thoughtful people are wondering about that. We must be very careful how we use that term. And how we, we throw it around, as it were. We may just find ourselves in that ordinary pack of mortals who, like the man Jesus, had to pray through bloody sweat when it came to doing the will of God. And we may be like Paul, who went on with fear and trembling and who traveled in weakness Paul, who received a no to his most often repeated prayer, and Paul, 
who oftentimes experienced frustration of the Spirit when he thought he was supposed to go in one way, only to discover later he wasn't supposed to go into Bithynia at all. He was supposed to go in Macedonia's direction. We may find ourselves in that great company of people where most people live out their lives like the prophet who said, you are a God who hidest yourself. And we don't need a few individuals making us feel guilty or calling our faith into question because they shut down discussion by saying, God told me. Now, to be open to the truth is to be open to truth where we find it. Science cannot reveal ultimate truth. Renan, the philosopher, said science is good for helping us overcome superstition. That's why we subject the Shroud of Turin to a scientific examination. That's something objective. It can be checked whether or not it's authentic. Somebody said to me, I don't want them to check it. I want them to check it. Science is supposed to serve God. Science serves in all the smaller issues. Science deals with questions like um, what and when. But ultimately, rea ultimate reality has to do with personality. And when you deal with a personality, you're dealing with something that can't be objectified, can't be dismembered, can't be dissected as science does, or else you destroy it. When you're dealing with personality, you're dealing with a mystery, and you can know a person only through communion. That's how we know God. That's how we know each other. So science can never reveal ultimate reality. That's the realm of faith alone. But in these smaller matters, we do not have any quarrel with science. There is nothing in our Bible that says we have to oppose science as it answers the smaller questions. We know who and we know why. Our faith tells us that, and those are the ultimate questions. I saw that picture of the dinosaur this week in the paper. You know, they found the skeleton up here near Fort Worth. I thought about that person who said they only put those uh, pictures in there to tempt us and to tempt our faith. I don't know how old the world is. I really don't. I, I, I'm open. I don't read anything in my Bible that tells me I have to believe it's a hundred million years old or I have to believe it's a few thousand years old. I don't find that in my Bible. Somebody said the age of the world can be compared to the Eiffel Tower. And uh, if you compared the age of the universe, the solar system, the world, to the Eiffel Tower, then the age, the time when humankind came on the scene would be the coat of paint on the top of the bulb, the knob at the top of the tower. I don't know if God spent all that time getting it ready for our advent, or if ours is such a young world that we started ruling it within days after it was created. 
but I'm curious about those things. And I can look at them without a lot of heat and passion because I know who and I know why. When we're consecrated to the truth, we're going to come finally to the feet of our God because he is a God of truth and because Jesus personifies truth. I like what that mathematics teacher said at Vanderbilt University. That teacher who said, I'm going to give you two tests today. One is a test about trigonometry. The other is about truth and honesty. He was putting them on their honor. He said, I hope you pass both tests today. But he said, if you only pass one test, fail trigonometry. He said, there are a lot of good people out in the world who can't do trigonometry. But there aren't any good people who aren't truthful and honest. Truth. It may not win the early engagements, but it'll win the war. It doesn't win the lightning engagements, but it'll win the war. You can nail it to a cross, you can seal it in a sepulcher, but it'll rise again because truth is of God. Amen. We're going to sing as a hymn of commitment once to every man and nation. We'll sing the first and the last stanzas. And as we sing, let those who are dedicated to the truth, who wish to come and to work out your salvation with us here in this church, would you come forward as we sing together first and third stanzas of our hymn of commitment.
Dr. Henson, I'm pleased to present Philip Thompson, Jerry Seminole, Dr. and Mrs. Binken, and Andrew. It's wonderful to welcome you to our church. I'm going to ask you if you renew your vows and promise to support the church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service. And if you will, say, I will. And it's a joy to receive you into this fellowship. Now may the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Praise God.